He's always been good enough to hop on my show whenever I ask. He's got, uh, for me, the best website you can go to if you want information on those who will be draft eligible for the NBA come June. That would be draftexpress.com. Uh, the founder of it, Jonathan Gravoni, jumps aboard with us here on CBS Sports Radio. How you been, Jonathan? Been great, Jody. How about yourself? Good. How'd your summer play out to you? Summer a little different this year with uh, an Olympic competition in the mix. Uh, different for you on like this year going into next year as compared to other years? Well, I was scheduled to attend the under-18 European Championship in Turkey but unfortunately, about a week before that was supposed to happen, uh, there was an attempted coup in that country. So they, <laughs> they postponed it to the middle of December. And now we're getting all kinds of uh, travel warnings about then, too. So that's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out. We have the under-19 World Championship scheduled for uh, Cairo next summer. So uh, a lot of nervous NBA scouts right now about, you know, this travel schedule that FIBA has, has has put in front of us. If you're not a fan of Jonathan's website, draftexpress.com, you should be. If you're an NBA fan or you're a college basketball fan, if you're a draft Nick like I am, if you uh, uh, in any way, shape, or form think of yourself as a general manager type for your NBA squad and the team you like to root for, uh, Jonathan gives you great insight and projections and predictions. Shoot, he's already got his 2017, excuse me, 2018 draft up on the website. Uh, the only one that matters is the one he'll come out with the day before the draft. But it's fun to watch guys jump on and be moved and go up and down and the like. Uh, I checked it the day before I came on, Jonathan, and saw that you have no less than 14 freshmen in your top 20. That this has become the want of the NBA, the one and dones that the guys go to college for one year, and specifically this year you only have, I think, three sophomores and three international players in your top 20. Does that bode well? Are you telling me we're looking at a very good freshman class? Well, there's two factors in that. First of all, this is a historically good high school senior college freshman class. Um, recruiting people that I respect, like Evan Daniels, I've been raving about this class for a couple of years now, and, and it looks really, really good on paper. On top of that, we have a couple of very intriguing international players uh, like Laurie Markin in Arizona and Omar Year 7 in NC State who decided to jump over here to the States, and now they're one-and-done prospects too instead of being traditional international players. So I think it's a little bit of a trend that we're seeing now. And uh, this this high this uh, NCAA freshman class is going to be really interesting to track because it looks very very strong on paper, but there's no real consensus candidate at number one. So I think we're going to see some fluctuation in the top five and within the lottery as the season moves on. That's always good and always fun and leaves open to debate, which is what we love as well. And at least in your early rankings, one of the other things I like about this is. A lot of times, big start at the top because you can't teach seven foot. And players maybe get rated a little higher to start because they are as big as they are. That's not the case this year. You really have very few true fives. And even some of the fours, the guys that you're uh, calling power forwards, are as much perimeter players as they are power players or play back-to-the-basket type stuff. 
this seems to be a wing-type draft, something we haven't seen at the very top over the last couple of years. Well, listen, Jody, we're watching the NBA every night. Uh, it's not just, you know, you're following the draft and you're looking at these young guys and trying to project them. You're also looking at the trends in, in the NBA as the league as a, as a whole. And we're seeing that, you know, these traditional fives, there's not as much of a market for them as there, as there was in the years past. And we're seeing, you know, guys who were really highly touted a year ago, like Steven Zimmerman, like Diamond Stone, you know, uh, you talk about freshmen that were supposed to be one and done top 20 draft picks end up sliding in the second round just right. because there's not a much of a market for big men anymore. And I think that wing players and guards, I mean, that's the direction the NBA is heading in. Uh, guys that can shoot threes, that can guard multiple positions. Uh, they're not really looking for these aircraft carrier, back to the basket, you know, traditional centers like they were 15, 20 years ago. Unless a guy like Joel Embiid goes off and has an unbelievable rookie year and he's had a real good start. Hasn't up to six and win any game, threes, Jody. If you can show, if you can shoot threes like <laughs> that, changes the changes the game completely. Yeah, he is. He's shooting a real nice percentage. He's not shooting many of them, but he can make the ones that he does take. We're talking to Jonathan Gavoni of DraftExpress.com about the upcoming class for the college basketball season, and then moving on to the NBA. All right, so these freshmen who are the top ranked guys, good wing players, guards, even some specific. Point guards, I know you've got the kid from Washington at the top, Fultz, also Dennis Smith from North Carolina State. You rank pretty highly. Uh, is this as good a point guard draft on uh, class as it looks on paper? This looks like a great point guard class on paper. You have not only those two um, guys that you mentioned, Fultz and Smith, at the top, who, you know, we're going to have to see if they're able to lead their team to the NCAA tournament because. The point guards are judged on the way that they're able to make their teammates better and are they able to win. So those two guys are going to have to, um, you know, show, have a better showing um, with their respective teams than they were able to the year before with their colleges. Um, after that, you know, you have a, a very intriguing French uh, point guard named Frank Nitakina, who's um, got great size and he, he's also projected as a top 10 pick and, you have a couple other guys after that. You have a couple of guards at Kentucky, like Darren Fox and Malik Monk. You have Lonzo Ball at UCLA. So you have a number of, um, of young point guards who could all go in the lottery, maybe five or six of them. Understood. Um, let me ask you about a specific kid, because I have some other friends who are on top of the AAU thing, like yourself. And at least a year ago, someone told me that Jason Tatum was as good a player as he'd seen on that level in the last two or three years. And he's going to Duke, and I know you've got him at number four on or number three on your list. Some others, he didn't have as good a summer as some people thought he was going to be and have cooled down on him a little bit. Give me your scouting report on Jason Tatum, who's going to be uh, starting his career at Duke in just a couple of days. Well, he has prototypical size for an NBA small forward or even a shooting guard at 6'8" with a great frame and long arms. He, he's a very good athlete. Um, he's interesting because he doesn't exactly fit the mold of the wings that you're looking for these days. Um, he kind of has like a, a DeMar DeRozan type game to him. He, he loves to operate in the mid-range area. Um, he's a very good one-on-one -on -one scorer. He can post up a little bit. Um, he's not a great passer and he's not a great three-point shooter. So it's going to be interesting to see how he fits in at Duke where – 
you know, they lost quite a bit, and they're going to need him to come in and play a big role, especially with Harry Giles, their other highly talented freshman, out indefinitely with a knee injury. So we're going to see how good he is. We're going to get an idea of how good he is starting on November 15th in the Champions Classic uh, here at Madison Square Garden. That's going to be an unbelievable test for him going up against Kansas. Um, also, Kentucky and Michigan State will be playing in that um, tournament on the 15th. So I, I think Jason, uh, Jason Tatum has tremendous potential, but um, it's been interesting to see um, you know, how Coach K is going to be able to um, you know, get the most out of him. Let me ask you about Coach K, because Coach K has realized uh, 10 years ago, shoot, probably even five years ago, K, Coach K frowned on one and done. He wanted guys who were going to commit and come to Duke and play two, three, and or all four years. Uh, he's realized that the best players all want to go one and done now, and he's had some very good ones that have gone on to nice pro careers, and he advanced their game when he was there. Is he the right coach for a guy like Tatum? I think he is because Coach K, being our USA basketball coach, the has been around some of the best minds that we have in the NBA, not just in terms of coaches, but also players. And I think you've seen his style of coaching evolve tremendously since he started in that capacity. And that's, I think, the main attraction that these one-and-done guys are seeing with Coach K is that he really knows how to get them ready for the NBA and, and, and you know, just win a national championship with Tyus Jones, Justice Winslow, Julia Okafor. That, that really proved to a lot of people that he can do it, um, you know, the way that John Calipari did in the past. So I, I do think that um, – I think it's going to be a little bit of a learning curve for Jason Tatum. I don't think – I think there's going to be a lot of ups and downs for him. But I think in the long term, it's going to end up being really good for him. The best at handling the one-and-dones has been Coach Cal at Kentucky. Uh, he just brings guys in. They play a year. They go on. He reloads with some of the top-ranked players coming out of the high school ranks and AAU ranks. How good has he refilled his coffers this year? He's done a great job of refilling it. He has um, a lot of incoming big guys, um, and he's got a couple of guards, too. So they're going to be a young team. And they also return a little bit from the previous year. You know, Every year you have guys that are you know, five-star recruits from Donald Trump Americans that come in expecting to be one and done, but it doesn't always materialize to them for the, they have to come back for a second or third year. And that is where Kentucky is going to be really strong because they're going to have a lot of depth this year, a lot of experience. And, um, you know, we're gonna, they have Bam Adebayo, who is a 6'10 freak athlete um, in the middle. And then a couple of those guards that we mentioned, Malik Monk and Darren Fox, kind of leading the show with Isaiah Briscoe, um, one of those guys that, you know, thought he was going to be one and done last year, but that didn't work out for him. He's coming back. He's probably going to be a lot better this year. So Kentucky is, uh, you know, one of the favorites to, to make the Final Four and, con- and contend for a national championship. And I expect them to be really, really strong this season. Let me ask you about last year's number one pick. Uh, ben Simmons was the number one overall pick by the Sixers. Unfortunately, broke his foot in preseason, before the preseason had started, in practices leading to the preseason. Uh, there were some rumors that he might sit the entire year. Everyone has kind of cooled on that. And they think that he can be back at some point during this season, probably not till after the, the first of the year. Um, but he's also got a... Uh, uh, documentary that he put together with a production team of his own from the time he showed up at LSU straight through to the NBA draft. And in it, he said that he's kind of critical of the NCAA and it's just flat out wrong that 
Uh, he didn't want any part of being a collegiate player, but knew he had to. And the fact that the NCAA makes millions, if not billions of dollars, and the players don't see a penny of it. He, he really called the NCAA on the carpet. He was wise enough not to take on the NBA, which is the league that kept him from joining the NBA, if that's what he wanted to do at age 17. What's your take on the one-and-done rule? Is it here? Is it locked in for the next two years, five years, ten years? Will we ever go backwards and see kids from high school become eligible? If Adam Silver had his druthers, would he push it even a year further down the line? What is your take on the eligibility rules in place right now? Well, I understand it because it's a matter of convenience for all the parties involved except for the players. It's convenient for the NBA because they get more ready-made products coming into their league. It's convenient for the NBA players themselves because they don't have to compete with this you know, young crop of 18-year-old guys pushing out some of these veterans every year. And then it's convenient for college basketball, too, because, like you said, they're able to make billions of dollars in revenue off the NCAA tournament. Um, now, I'm sympathetic to a lot of the things that Ben Simmons was talking about in his documentary, but I think that he's a, the wrong messenger for this just because of the fact that he's an international player, and he actually could have been eligible for the 2015 NBA draft had he elected to stay in Australia rather than come to high school here in the U.S. But what he did by coming here to the U.S., he got treated like an American, which forced him to go to college for a year and forced him into the charade of, you know, going to LSU for one semester and really completely making a joke of their season. And we saw the way that that turned out. It did not, you know, reflect well on him whatsoever. So I, I think Ben Simmons is the wrong guy to, you know, to, to be fighting this fight because he should have just stayed in Australia. I mean, nobody, he keeps saying that they forced him to go to college and they forced him, nobody forced him to do anything. From a business standpoint, it would have been much smarter for him to just stay home in Australia go to some FIBA tournaments, maybe go to some AAU tournaments, come to the Nike Hoop Summit, and, and you'll be the number one draft pick anyway. But he took advantage of our system here. Um, you know, he, he got a great endorsement deal with Nike because of the exposure that he got um, from the NCAA. ESPN was hyping him up every single night, calling him LeBron James, calling him Magic Johnson. And so you really you can't have both sides of it, you know. Like you have to pick, a, you know, what side you're on. And, you know, Ben Simmons, you know, decided to go to college basketball, and, and, and he has to live with that, I think. I would tend to agree with you across the board and everything you just said. The only way I think it ever goes backwards, if, if there are people out there like Ben Simmons and others who want to be able to come into the NBA when they say they're ready, that they should be draft eligible as soon as they uh, get out of high school, the only way that happens is if the agents take a stance. And to this point, the agents haven't. Is there a reason behind it? Is it because they represent other guys in the NBA and they don't want the competition? Is it because they think it's a losing battle? Why haven't the agents fought the fight yet to try and get high school kids reinstated? Well, I think that I don't think the, the agents are the ones that are calling the shots. I already think that the NBA owners are the most powerful people in the building, along with the NBA. And, you know, they're not negotiating with the agents. They're negotiating with the NBA players. And the NBA players really have no reason to, you know, let 18-year-olds into the draft. I mean, it, it makes no sense. It doesn't make financial sense for the league to have these guys coming in and sitting on the bench. You know, Ben Simmons could have entered the NBA as an 18-year-old, but he probably benefited by coming here to the U.S. and competing against our competition in high school and in AAU and, and, and doing 
you know, six months of college basketball and, and taking a licking and maybe learning about some of the things he needs to improve on. So while it's not, you know, the perfect vehicle, I do think that it's still, it makes more sense than anything else we have at the moment. And there's a lot of arguments on both sides, maybe do it, you know, two years, three years, the baseball rule, all that. But, you know, there's, there's so many flaws in, in every argument that I think to keep it the way it is right now, I think it makes the most sense. Jonathan, uh, get ready for the start of the season. I know how hard you work over the summer and all the tournaments you go to if the countries don't get taken over and cancel the tournaments. Uh, but it gets a little bit more structured for you now with the beginning of the college season. You know we'll get you on plenty during the year. Always a pleasure. Thanks for the insight tonight. Thanks, Jody. Great, great talking to you.